Welcome to the One Church Home podcast. This podcast is directly tied to our weekly teachings. If OCH isn't your home church, we encourage you to get plugged into your local body. We pray this sermon blesses you as we press into the Word of God together. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a car full of elementary-aged boys, but it can get out of hand quick. It, uh, it's one of those experiences that you sit in the front seat and you start hearing things and you just know they're lying. And your job as a parent, my job, is to navigate how far do I let the deception go, right? How, how deep before I just say, hey, you're lying. And they, you know, they're like, what? Are you serious, Dad? <laughs> We've been doing, we got a lot of bros in my house now. Right now, everything's, bro, are you serious, bro? I'm like, well, you know, I'm not your brother. But it'll get out of hand, and, and they'll start telling stories. And, and I've shared this before. The boys, especially the twins, they'll amp each other up. And so, you know, it's the whole, you know, the fish story you know, hey, this fish, I caught a fish that's this big, and the next thing you know, like, you caught, uh, you know, jaws. And, <clears throat> and it's, you're trying to be gracious. I don't want to crush their dreams, but the tall tales turn into alternate realities. You know, my, my teacher talked about space today, and next thing you know, my teacher was the first man on the moon. I said, I'm pretty sure Westwood didn't bring back Mr. Armstrong from the dead. And so, you know, you have to at some point kind of give the look and go, guys, okay, we're about truth and you're wrong. That's not, that didn't happen. And and it is a bit of a a funny experience and I'll I'll stop it with this analogy. but, But a lot of times when I hear, especially in modern church, people talk about who God is and what he's like, I feel like I'm listening to a car full of kids. I feel like we have so abandoned truth, we, we've so abandoned this book that we have created idols in our culture and in our world that have nothing to do with the God of, uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've created gods that don't exist. We, we talk about God as though he's some fishing story that we can just kind of make him be whatever we want it to be in order to suit our needs and make my life better and more comfortable here in America. And the problem with that is, just like in the car, it's just not true. That's not the way God is. God is not a genie in a bottle. God is not going to be mocked. God can't, you know, I I, I love one of the most influential moments of Christian education for me is I fell in love with Jesus. I fell in love with ministry. I fell in love with, 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 with the church. And I knew, uh, you know, against other, uh, you know, people, you know, everybody goes, well, you don't need education. You just need a call. I'm like, yeah, but some people need some education. That's supposed to be funny. (laughs) Right? It's like, we want doctors to go to school for 10 years. But if you want to mess with my soul, you only have to be called. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
If I walked into brain surgery tomorrow and the guy's like, I've never been to school, but I'm called, I'd be like, and I gotta go. <laughs> but I knew I needed some education. I needed to know like what, what the Bible was. I didn't even know all the books. So I went, hey, I, I love Jesus, but I need some, some education. And in one of my first theology classes, the first time I saw like a, a real proper, has anybody ever watched somebody get rebuked? Everybody's, whoa. That's not a joke. Just real question. Have you ever seen somebody get like a proper rebuking, you know, and you go, whoa, that just happened. And it like, it breaks through cultural barrier. You're like, oh my gosh, you're not supposed to make people feel bad. It's, we're all Christians. And this theology teacher, his name was Dr. Arnie, bald head, just yoked up, like worked out all the time and just read his Bible. And he was one of those guys that you got really intimidated by because you started talking to him and you realize when he reads the Bible, he reads it in Greek and Hebrew. Like, I'm like, what translation do you use? And he's like, huh? <laughs> like New King James, NIV, NLT? He says, no, I mean, I'll, I'll just read, I'll read like the codexes and stuff. And I'm like, what's a codex? And he's like, the original language. Like, that's how I read the Bible. It's like, oh, okay. I don't want to talk to you about this anymore. <laughs> so... But he's one of those guys and he's just brilliant and he's pretty intense and he doesn't smile a lot and I loved him. But, but he's one of those guys that like when I, we were, we were walking into class and I'm kind of intimidated because I've only been and like just, I just got saved. I'm excited. I got married. We're in Bible college. We're in Birmingham and, and I'm sitting in class and this kid walks in and I, I know he meant well, but he walked in with a t-shirt on and really plainly on his t-shirt, it said, Jesus is my homeboy. Dr. Arnie didn't like it. <laughs> and he walked through that door and as soon as his, his shoulders cleared the door, I hear this rumbling rebuke. Jesus ain't your homeboy. He's the divine son of God. Go back to your room and change. And I went, this is different. <laughs> And it's because he was trying to just break through the, the thing that happens as we build our God around our comfort instead of around the truth. When that happens, we lose sight of who he really is and we create for ourselves a God that's not real. And so the truth isn't hurting your feelings, it's properly defining who he actually is. And so he rebuked him to say, hey, you misunderstand. We're going to do a teaching up here. Shane does a great job in, in 101 talking about what Abba means. But, but we, just because we hear like, you know, Jesus is, is dad and, and father and all that, we, we get too comfortable and we say things like he's my homeboy and we lose sight of the fact that he's actually the king, that he's actually sovereign Lord, the great I am. And so we ought not ever lose sight of who God is because we want to conform him into our image. The problem is we're a bad image to conform to. Can anybody say amen to that? I don't want God to be like me. Why? Because I almost forgot to put shoes on today. That's real. And if God is bigger and greater than me, that's a good thing. 
But everything about our culture and life wants to conform him to us. And we don't need that. We need to conform to him. And so we have to readjust our thinking and go back to the book to understand who he is. And we are in this journey right now. We started last week by unpacking his greatness, defining who he is by looking at his names. Because a name will do something. A name changes you. A name defines you. I talked last week about my name going from Ian Benefield, meaning bean farmer, to Ian Gilchrist, the beloved, uh, the beloved servant of Christ. See, I almost forgot my name. But a name changes you. It shapes you. I didn't like change my name when I got, like, fell, came to the ministry. God changed my name years before I even met Jesus. And then all of a sudden he showed me, I called you back then. And so names do something to us. They shape us. They mold us. They teach us. And so surely the names of God help us understand more clearly and accurately who he actually is. And so we're pursuing that journey together. We're, we're looking together at the names of God. Last week, we looked at him responding to, to Moses and saying, they said, he said, who are you? He said, I am who I am. When you go to them, you tell them, I am sent you. And we unpack that I am is actually the word. It's, it, it's not actually, it is the word for Yahweh. It's where they get Yahweh from. Yahweh is translated Lord. For those of you who don't read, you know, the Hebrew, obviously. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I don't either. I tried, I got a book, it didn't work. It's the book's fault. Today we're talking about Jehovah Jireh, a name that has been tossed around. Some of you might go, well, I don't never heard that. I don't know what you're talking about. Others of you have heard songs written about this. You've heard all kinds of conversations written about this. We talk about Jehovah Jireh. It's one of the seven covenant names of God. Jehovah is just another another, you know, so so when we get into translation and all that stuff, it can get quite complicated. But, but Yahweh, Jehovah, they're all words derived from each other. They're words that kind of get pulled around. So, so the first is the name, it is God, the God of. That is Jehovah or Yahweh. That is who God is. That's his name. The second word is defining an attribute about who he is. Not sometimes. Not like we talked about earlier. 85, I think Isaac talked about this in communion. It's not like he's occasionally Jaira and then he's other times Nisi. It's that all the time he's entirely this and then we're gonna hear multiple names that, that help us because one name just can't capture quite all of it. And so Jehovah is, is God. Jaira means provider. And the place we see this name used the place that this is, is brought forth in the scriptures, not in our ideas, because I think all of us would like to say, you know, surely God is a God of provision. That would be really helpful. But we're not saying that because we feel good about it. We're not saying that because we're hoping that he actually is and we're not quite sure. We're saying that God is a God of provision because it's rooted in the word of God. So in the word of God, 
we see in Genesis chapter 22, a story unfold where God is named Jehovah Jireh. And so we're gonna explore that today and try to understand some context around what does it mean? I mean, y'all, because this is, we could stop and do a whole side series on God as provider. Like some questions that would be good to ask yourself is what do I mean when I say provider? How do I define provision? Right, like how do I, how do I interpret blessings? You see, I think we could go, this is again, way sidetracking, but I think we could, we could make a, a, a pretty strong case to go like, hey, we need to have a conversation about what does it mean when somebody has an abundance of things versus not an abundance of things, and we say that person is blessed and that person is not. Provision is not always tied to abundance. Provision on this side of the veil is not always directly correlated to blessed and cursed. It, it, it's, it's different. Provision is way more about here than it is here. Provision is way more about here and here and making sure that you are provided for than it is monetarily building comfort around your life. And we could get into that today, but it's not where we're going. See, I want you to understand the, the situation. We've got to see that Abraham has been walking with God for years. He has been provided for. He has a lot of stuff. God has shown up in his life, both monetarily and he's shown up in, in his soul. He's, he's, he's challenged him, he's shaped him, he's molded him, he's given him a purpose and a calling on his life. He's actually shown him that, that he's gonna do incredible things with his life. And then in 20 years later, as he was late in life, God said, hey, I'm gonna give you a son. And through you, there are gonna be more, like the, 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 the humanity is gonna be coming from you. And he goes, wow, I, I mean, my wife's barren and, and I'm old. How's this gonna work? And God, for 20 years, takes them through this process and he gets it wrong and he misses it and he does all sorts of, of stuff that doesn't go great. And then 20 years later, Isaac is born. And he is Abraham's beloved son. He's the son he thought he would never have and he is the key to Abraham's destiny. He is his beloved and only son. So in Genesis 22, 1 through 14, we see Jehovah Jireh. It says, now it came to pass after these things, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of the young men with him. And Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. 
and we'll come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand, the knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And then they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abram, Abram. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on this lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. And so Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up to the burnt offerings instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. You see, this is the only reference. This is the only place where Jehovah Jireh is mentioned. Now, that being said, there are several places that articulate the way God's going to provide. There are places all throughout the scriptures that talk about how he's going to take care of us. There's all kinds of places that talk about it. I just tagged a bunch at the very end of my sermon. Philippians 4.19, God shall supply all your needs according to his riches. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly above it, abundantly above all that we ask or think. Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We'll talk about that one in a minute. Hebrews 11, but without faith, it's impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, God is the God of provision. It's not some silly idea we've conjured up to make us feel comfortable. It is who he is. And yet we see in this place where Jehovah Jireh is introduced to us, where the, the name of the great provider is given to us, we see something connected to it that is so, it's so impactful. It starts out by saying, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. The first thing I want to talk about is we observe the God of uh, the God providing is that it's directly connected to God testing. You see, I, I don't know about you, but, but something in me gets a little squirmy when I think about God testing me. Does anybody relate to that? A little bit uncomfortable. What do you mean he's testing me? I don't like tests. You see, but God tested Abraham. We could go on and on. There are several places where he, he tests us, but we have to disconnect our broken and sinful worldview and not apply that bad worldview to God's kingdom. So when I think testing me, 
I'm imagining some angry person who's waiting for my demise and trying to trick me into failure up in heaven, moving things around. And that's not God. God is not the the weird puppet master up there trying to see if he can get you to fail. He's not testing you in some sense of, if you don't do this right, I'm going to crush you. If you, don't, if you don't get the answer to this one right, you're in big trouble. If you don't fill in the blank, whatever, that's not who God is. And that's not understanding the scripture through the rest of the scripture. If we hear testing and we get nervous, we don't need to get weird about God. We need to get weird about our definition of testing. We need to redefine something. We need to understand that he's testing us. Why? Not so he can go, hey, if you get this right, I'll give you a million dollars. He's saying, I've given you this much. I need to make sure you can carry more. I've given you this. Now I got to test you. Now, now I've got to see how you're going to respond to X, Y, and Z. I got to see not what's going on out here, but what's going on in here. I mean, this is no different than than some of you might go, you're such a weird dad. It's no different than when my kids say something and and I want to understand what's deeper. And so what do you do? You ask a question. That's a test to go, hey, what do you mean by that? Or or, hey, how are you going to do this? Or I'm doing that not because I'm, I'm genuinely confused about how they should navigate forward. I'm doing that to test them to see how are you thinking about it so I can reshape, remold, and recast vision in your life to help you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. So we need to stop thinking about test as some kind of eighth grade torture device And we need to think about test as an interpretation of going, when I'm going through a test, that means God loves me so much that he's trying to push me into the abundant life. And he's he's using this circumstance or situation often tied to provision. You see, it's fascinating to me that this story, Jehovah Jireh, is directly connected to testing. There's not another place that God provider is used, that the name is used. And it's so fascinating that it's tied to test. It could be, I'm not ready to say it's every time. It could be that he's gonna use provision in your life as a primary source of testing. He's gonna say, hey, are you gonna do this? Will you believe? Y'all, the way I started my career in ministry, I thought, you know, we're coming home, we're going to this great church, it's gonna be awesome. You know, and I'm not like the smartest tool in the tool bag. I'm not the brightest guy. I don't have the, the most, you know, education and stuff. But all of a sudden, I found myself in a place where I knew God had called me to full-time ministry, but I had a baby. We were living with my, my, my mother and father-in-law who were amazing and We're living with them. I had a baby. I had no job. I knew I was supposed to be serving at this church. I knew I was supposed to be taking care of uh, of my family. And the pressure of the world around me was going, are you kidding me? You're unemployed. You don't have a job. And so I I started looking other places than the church. I started going, well, maybe I'll just get a job over here. Y'all, I feel confident, especially in today's market, that I could go get a job somewhere. I could not get a job anywhere. 
The only open door that I could find, God had to shut all the doors. The only door that I could move into was moving toward the church. God, I believe, used that season to test, to go, hey, are you gonna trust? Are you gonna, are you gonna listen? Are you gonna obey the call? Regardless of what's going on in the world, I'm not recommending you quit your job and just you know, do that. I'm just saying, it's, it's fascinating how God uses provision and, and the world, the stuff that's so real, it's so in front of you, to see how you're gonna respond, to shape and mold you into the kingdom of his of his life for you. And so we've got to go, hey, what does it mean that God is testing? Is that, is it common? Does it happen more than once? Psalm 66, 10 says, for you've tried us, O God, and refined us as silver is refined. Proverbs 17, 3 says, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Psalm 26, 2 says, examine me, O Lord, try me, test my mind and my heart. Y'all, this is who God is. This is what he does. There are going to be seasons that feel like God has stepped back and all he's done is step one step away so you can step one step closer. There are going to be seasons that it feels like he has abandoned you and your provision and, and you need to know that can't happen because it's not who he is. And so don't interpret what's happening in the world through the world's lens. Do it through the kingdom lens. If there is a, as a season of lack of, of what feels like withholding, it isn't. It, you, can't, you cannot justify it to say that God is not providing. The truth is, is he's always providing. The question is, is he testing? Could it be that he's using this season to draw you closer to him, to take a step of trust toward him, to take a step toward generosity with him. So testing is valuable. It displays his love. It displays his care. It displays his intimacy with your situation. Because the name Jehovah Jireh is connected to this story, I wouldn't be surprised if he uses provision as a test in your life. The second thing I see that happens in this story that is so massively important, so, so, so pivotal to provision is trust. See, Abraham responded immediately. He was so aware of who God was and the provision of God's character that he responded immediately with, I trust you. You've called me to do something that is impossible and I trust you. I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, just, just step into that for a second without any, you can't think about the frustrating weekend maybe you had with your kids, but, but think about the, 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 the audacity of this request. Think about how, how far off the, you know, I mean, the justifications that could have come, the, the way he, I mean, Abraham could have just gone any which way. I could, that had to be bad food I ate last night. There's no way God just said, sacrifice your son. There's no way he would be telling me to take the very thing I've waited decades for and give it back to him. There's no, no way he's asking that. You could go on and say, you know, well, he might be asking that, but I don't know, God. I'm just gonna, I'm, you know what? I'm gonna fast. I'm gonna, 
I'm gonna do the right Christian thing. I'm gonna fast and wait and make sure I heard you right. No, the next morning after he heard God ask this crazy question of him, he knew so confidently who God was that he was able to trust without delay. You see, beloved, as we move forward into seasons of, of, of trials, tribulations, of, of frustrations, of celebrations, of all the things that are the kingdom life, we need to get our mind around who God really is so when he asks us to do things that are unbelievable, we can trust and respond without delay. We have to be able to be the kind of people who hear crazy requests from God, like build this wall, Nehemiah. We've got to hear, be able to hear things like, Abraham, give your son back to me. You have created an idol in him, and I need to know that you're ready to be who I've called you to be. So hand him back. That's crazy. And we've got to know who God is in order to interpret what he's calling us to do. We've got to know that in the, in the times in which we're living in, that God is going to ask things that don't seem right, where we could interpret it and go, no, 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 that couldn't be. Don't let the world interpret God. Let God help you interpret the world. And so we've got to go, all right, Lord, I can trust you. I can lean into you no matter what the request, no matter what the, 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 the overwhelming thing that you're calling me to do. And, and you see, beloved, it's about, again, the heart and the mind. Abraham <coughs> wanted a kid. He wanted a son. He wanted an heir. God called him to this great destiny. He was going to be the father of nations. He was going to be this incredible patriarch of history. There was only one problem. He didn't have a son. And so finally, this son, I mean, do you want to talk about spoiled? I don't know, Isaac. I mean, I know this Isaac, but... I mean, that boy must have got spoiled. He was the beloved son. You know, and I'll, listen, I'll, he'll correct me when I get to heaven if I'm wrong. But, but the, the truth is, is you go like, man, that kid had everything. He was probably wrapped in bubble wrap everywhere he went. Like Abraham loved the boy. And Abraham had a, a big calling on his life. And God said, hey, I need to know that I am on the throne of your life in order for you to carry the destiny I've called you into. So I need your boy back. He didn't interpret that and go, God's angry with me. God's so mad. He's so mad at Isaac. Isaac, what did you do? He said, we're going to go worship. We're going to go see him. We're going to go be with him. We're going to go lean into him. We're going to understand and remember who he is. And we are going to, to lay it all on the altar again and trust that he is Jehovah Jireh. That if he needs it, he can have it. If it's a test, I'll pass it. I'll, I'll give it all to him. And trust I mean, we, we know this. It's at the, it's at the core of everything. It's at the, it's at the root of, of, of health. But when God calls us to do impossible things, will we trust him? 
And then finally, there's gratitude, thanksgiving that's connected to this. And then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket. When he finally said, I'm willing to do whatever you need me to do, I'll go as far as you need me to go, he lifted up his hand, and God said, that's it. Don't touch him. I'll provide the sacrifice. And he, Abraham, saw the ram, brought him over, sacrificed the ram, and then he, with gratitude in his heart, responded and said, this place will be called God provides. And all of it fell into perspective. All of it fell into alignment. See, God's provision often comes after we rightly align our needs with his purpose. See, God gave Isaac, Abraham worshiped Isaac, God tested Abraham, Abraham responds in worship, and God provides the ram. When he rightly aligned it all and he said, hey, I'm going to put the, like, this is not, we can't turn into this, this people that thinks that A plus B always equals C in the kingdom. It's often not linear. It's often not just that simple. But there is something incredible that happens when we rightly align our needs and his purpose in our life and realize we're here for more than comfort. We're here for a mission to change the world and to, to, to set people free by one means and one means only, by introducing them to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you're here for. You're not a banker, a, a realtor, a scientist, a plumber, a preacher. You're here to set the captives free. And he uses your platform as a means to that end. Your mission is to make disciples. And he's going to use all these different ways and, and, and all these different things to do it. But we got to get our needs aligned with his purpose and then watch how provision follows. I hesitate always to make things super transactional. God cannot be loopholed. I don't think the same actions always produce the same results. He isn't a genie in a bottle, but there are undoubtedly kingdom principles that are unbreakable. When you give, you receive. When you bless Israel, you are blessed. And when you have God on the throne of your life, he will provide. Matthew 6, 25 and 34, I'll close like this, says, therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is life not more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I say to you that even Solomon, questionably the greatest, most richest man in history, in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
Will he not much more clothe you, church? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. You see, provision is who he is. And when we turn over the keys to our life, when we turn over the, the, the worry and the fear and the intimidation of what's to come and we don't know how we're going to navigate this and we don't know what's going what's to happen here. But when we surrender over everything about control in our life and then we align our needs to the, to the purposes of the kingdom. We don't look at the world to define our needs. We look at the kingdom to define our needs and we look at the mission that he's called us to do. When we align those things, understanding it might not look the way I wanted it to. It might not go the exact way I wanted it to go. I can't define his provision by it happening the exact way I think it should. I have to relinquish all control and say, God, if you're really Jehovah Jireh, then you provide and do it your way, not my way. Why? Because his ways, like it says it, are better than my ways. Understanding it might not be the way I want or might not happen exactly the way it should, but it will always be the abundant life if it's coming from him. And so when it happens like Abraham, we mark the moment with thanksgiving and cry out that Jehovah Jireh is here. And we, we, we stamp that moment by going, God has provided. It's, it's, a, it's the same heart behind. We build an altar after he made a way. We, we stamp it and we mark it to, to why? To remember in ourselves and in our soul that in those days of, of testing, in those days of, 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 of not knowing, of in those days of questioning, what's going to come? How's this going to work out? That he did it before and he'll do it again. And church, where we're headed, the only one who can get what we need, the only one who can meet our needs, it's not going to be a, 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 a really robust bank account. Well, what's what's going to sustain the church into the future isn't the awesome building, which by the way, we got the fire marshal approval this week. That building won't sustain us. A big bank account won't sustain us. A big attendance won't sustain us. It is only the provision of God that will sustain us. And so God shows up and he can do more than we ever ask or imagine. And he's gonna use us in ways we never thought possible. And he's gonna show up and, and do and, and be everything he wants to do and be. And so we can stand together and say that he provides. 
that it's not about our, our toiling and spinning, our efforts or preparations, which we're gonna do. We're gonna prepare, we're gonna plan, we're gonna bring people in that know how to do things. We're gonna do it all as well as we can. And then we're gonna lay it at the altar and say, God, have your way. Your ways are better because you are Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and honor you and invite you to come and stir this word up in our soul. Help us to not just hear it, but God, walk out of here and believe it. To put it on the, 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 the mantle of our life and to trust that you've got us when we submit to you. We trust you and believe you and know, God, that you're going to provide for this church and that you're going to provide for these people because you are the great Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. We love you, Lord, and we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen, somebody? Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.